All right, what is up, IEA? This is episode three. I am your co-host, Kevin Dagger, and I am in term four and newly elected IEA president for spring 2023. Yay. <laughs> and I have with us my other co-host, the beautiful Quinn. What's up, everyone? My name is Quinn. I'm a term five. I guess no longer your president, and I'm, uh, I'm the one phasing out, but I have a nice, handsome young man coming and take my place. So, uh, shout out to Kevin. I mean, this is a very exciting time. Big congrats to him. I'm now he's very excited, and uh, I'm equally excited for him. Excited, excited and <laughs> <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm Anthony Lenza. I've been on here before. This is my second time. Uh, very excited to be more a part of the project. Uh, also a term four and going to be your grand marshal for IEA next term. Yeah, welcome on. We're going to do good things. So on today's episode, we have with us Ethan, and Ethan is also in term four. And I decided to bring Ethan on. He's an IEA member. And I met Ethan a couple of weeks ago, but I've known about Ethan, as I'm sure a lot of you have known about Ethan. Um, Ethan has these amazing leadership roles that I'm going to give him a platform to talk about as he deserves that. So without further ado, meet our special guest, Ethan. Hi, um, I'm Ethan. I run Powerhouse DES. Um, I started it in term one, just not labeled Powerhouse, but I started in term one helping out my fellow classmates. And then it kind of just snowballed into what we know now as Powerhouse DES. Um, I'm also currently a coordinator for human services aspect of it to work with some orphan kids. So it's kind of what I've been splitting up my um, time of the semester. Nice. So. Ethan, there's a lot that I want to talk about. Um, first, let's just get started with, you know, uh, what drove you into medicine? I've always wanted to be in medicine. That's just always been the case. Like, I've wanted to be a surgeon since I was, like, five years old. Um, I actually got declined from SGU the first time I applied just because I had a lot of stuff going on. So my undergrad GPA was not good whatsoever, but I'm not stopping until I become what I want to come. Nice. Okay. So you've met failure once and now you meet success and with the success, you're capitalizing on it by giving backers with the drive. Is that what gave you the motivation during term one to do that? Um, it was more like term one. It was just more of like, um, I had friends, so I wanted to help them out, but then I, I felt guilty. Like, okay, I'm, I'm able to do this. I under the understand material. Everyone should be able to understand the material. So that's just kind of like, what created the platform of wanting to help others. Cause it's, it's doable. It's just, you need the right resources and the right motivation. Yeah, I agree. I mean, term one, I remember when we started term one, everybody it kind of felt like high school all over again, but in medical school in a weird way, because it seemed like everybody was kind of finding their personality and how they're going to venture off into this new journey. And of course, everybody in term one, um, I mean, my MS1 experience, I was online. I wasn't on, the island. So everybody has a different experience with it. But my experience with it, at least, was um, I realized that everybody was just kind of trying to find their niche into medical school and how they're going to fit in. And me being online, I didn't have that particular experience because, you know, I'm home. I wake up, I watch the lectures, and I start studying on my own. And then I start hearing about your Google Drive account. And I'm like, this is really interesting. And then I start hearing about other people's Google Drive accounts. And resources are being thrown at us left and right. I mean, I'm meeting term fours, term fives are giving me these links to their drives that have all these resources and all these books. And it just became extremely, extremely overwhelming. 
And then when I came across your Google Drive account, I'm like, oh, he's actually in term one. We're on the same level. We're on the same playing field. It would make sense if I follow along with what they're posting on there because it's term one stuff. These are the kids who are working at the same material that I'm working on. Um, so it was like a good, like fresh breath of air, I guess, to see that there were students in my class that were trying to help out and give other people resources. I mean, there's definitely the type of students who have really good resources, but they don't share it for whatever reason, you know? And I've always been the type that if I see something that I like, or I see something that's helpful, I'm like, okay, here, guys, take this, take it, take it. Like, check this out. Look at this table I found. Look at these questions I found. Or look at this question I found and look how he explained it, you know? So for you to go ahead right off of, right off the bat with term one, um, starting a Google Drive and just sharing it with everybody and just saying, hey, look at all these resources. You know, that was admirable. That was really, that was really cool. Cause of course, you know, like before, everybody's trying to find their personality and some people can become either closed off or they're not sharing anything with anybody or they're just like open arms, take whatever you want. I'm finding it for you. Cool. So I, th I thought it was really interesting how you set your, you found your path right from the bat in term one of having this leadership role of just giving back to the community. And, you know, that's, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. I mean, it, it wasn't necessarily like I knew my role. It was overcoming a lot. And I mean, a lot of self-doubt, like, am I going to be able to do this? So it kind of rolled into that. And then like you're saying with the overwhelming resources, like that's why I created the drive. So my drive is like 42 different drives compiled into one drive, like kind of a one, one shot for all. Um, that's why I did it. Cause that way you don't have to go to all these drives, find all these things. It overwhelmed with the resources. You just have this one stop that has all the, I guess, high yield. I don't like high yield term, but have all these high yield information that's going to help you with your term and that module. Yeah. How early into, um, into term one, did you start building that? Cause, um, just to kind of piggyback on what Kevin said, uh, thanks again for all your help. Uh, it's very commendable. Um, a lot of people out there, like you said, this we kind of have option paralysis because we have just resource overload. So it was really nice to have a distilled um, area to find things. I also don't like the term high yield, but just a high value, right? It was just high value things that, that you made. Um, you also didn't expect financial compensation, not that, you know, taking anyone's name out of the, out of the woodwork, but um, it's really nice that you did it without expecting any money in return, right? I think that's, that says a lot about your true mission of trying to help people. So thanks again for that too, because it's a very pure endeavor um, from at least what I can see. So, I mean, just, can you take us just re like briefly through the process of how you made that and maybe when you started? Um, it was towards like, I guess maybe CPR one, like I had done, I started off with doing like, I guess, practice question sessions with a group of people and then offering it to the, the group chats and everything um, where I just, I compiled all the practice questions I could find from the different drives. And that's kind of where it started is those questions because a lot of people found them helpful. So I'm just like, okay, this works out. Like I would sit every day at the end of the day, roughly just when I was just was bored and I'd just type out these questions or copy and paste them and everything. And then I'd post them. So they're accessible for everyone just to go through. It started with posting in the group chat, but it's just like, I'm really tired of posting in just every single chat I was a part of. Um, and then after that, it's just like, okay, well, there's a lot of resources and everyone's talking about where can I find this drive? Where can I find this drive? Is this drive good? And then I just like took all the drives. Like I literally spent two hours going through Facebook, clicking, going down the rabbit hole, clicking every single drive or SGU DES page there was. I like, cause every time you click one, like three more would pop up and I'd get requests and then get drives for those. And then I just compiled it. Yeah. I mean, I think I'm that's just going like... to echo everything that everyone's saying. I mean, your work is so charitable. 
do you see yourself, and I'm sure you're uh, very great with the students that you're instructing, do you see yourself going into academic surgery or taking on uh, teaching in a more uh, professional sense? Um, I mean, I like that, but my big thing is I want to be a pediatric surgeon. So like, I want to work with the kids and everything. So my big thing is working with the kids and then research because I love doing research. So I don't know if it'd be like full on academic, maybe teach like a class or something like that. Um, but I do like helping other students out. Cause like I said, it's doable. You just need the help. Can you speak a little bit to, um, your research experience? And I know that, um, a lot of listeners and med students in general, um, I didn't realize the importance as much of research. I, I taught anatomy lab uh, during undergrad and my master's. So I thought that would kind of balance out, but, um, as now we all know here now research is, is critical, right? And, um, I'm just interested to hear about it. A lot of people I talk to, you know, you, you end up finding that they were just pipetting things for four hours. Um, from what I've heard from you kind of in a cursory way, it seems like yours was way more in depth than pipetting. So I'm kind of interested just to hear what you've been doing and maybe, uh, your, your takeaway from that. And if you have any part of your research, that was kind of your baby and your point of passion. Um, oh, man, I so- miss using pipettes. <laughs> <laughs> I my first experience was because I went to USF. My first experience was working at a neuro institute. Uh, it used to be called the Birds Alzheimer's Institute. I started in the wet lab, and then I was able to get on a paper. I didn't really write the paper. I just did the groundwork for it. And then when I got to SGU, thankfully, I did good enough to get into IEA, so I applied for MSRI. Um, and I think having that one paper helped me get into it, even though I didn't do much except you know wet lab work. Um, but I got under Dr. Garantla for my, uh, my, my PI for MSRI. And he's just like, okay, with me, you're going to get guaranteed three papers for it. Um, so I was excited about that. But then I went to a surgery talk where Dr. Shaw came on and he's like, he did part of the, um, I guess, reviewing of the applications for future residents. And he was like, coming from SGU for surgery alone, but coming from SGU, you need at least nine to 11 research articles to, I guess, meet the competition for it. So that kind of got my fire lit for research. So I went into it, started doing the research for it. And then I got really involved with it. I'm just like, okay, I really like research. So I got bored during term three and I actually started emailing professors like, hey, I have this idea for a research paper. Um, I literally created an outline, like this is this is what we're gonna talk about. This is what I found. This is the direction I want it to go. Um, Dr. Upati actually was the first professor to bit. So like my one paper with her is the hormone alterations after bariatric surgery. And I spent all of term three and most of term four working on it because it's such a like cumbersome and very cohesive paper. Um, that's kind of what got me to like start more research in there. So I've been able to like reach out to different professors. I submitted my own paper with Garantla. Um, it just, it's something I enjoy. So it's really easy to do. And like, I'm hoping to share some of that wealth with other SGU students, especially students having trouble getting research because we go to SGU, everyone's going to need some sort of help just to get where they want to go, especially if they want like selective, uh, selective or subspecialties. Um, so that's kind of just my direction for research. You said Dr. Yupada and my heart smiled. <laughs> she was the best. <laughs> yeah. She was. <laughs> Uh, you bring up some interesting points with with research, and so I guess the first thing that I would address would be like that leadership that you, I guess, exemplified during your research experience right off the bat. Um, the thing with research, and correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, I went to I did I did my grad school 
I got my master's at Seton Hall, and Seton Hall is a very, very heavy, heavy research institute. I think they had like two or three RO3 grants, with at least the professor that I was working under, you know, she was bringing a lot of uh, financial help into the university. So the expectation of having to pump papers out, the bar was set pretty high. And the amount of work that you had to put into, especially when it's a wet lab, and if anybody doesn't know what a wet lab is, that's basically doing research where it involves doing bench work. And bench work is actually sitting in a lab, you know, with the pipette, with the Petri dishes, uh, ordering specimens. You're actually doing research that involves like samples of either like an animal source or just cells itself. But um, at SGU, majority of the research that's done, at least from what I'm hearing, is a lot of just typing, a lot of just reading articles and putting articles together. Uh, but nonetheless, like if you have a research project in mind and you mentioned it, that you had this idea, I think that in itself is what should be expected of us students as research for doing research, at least like sitting down and pumping out 40 papers for the sake of putting it on your resume so that when you go into residency applications and program directors, like, so we had an IA alumni on here on our first podcast and, you know, she's in residency now. And we talked about research and she had mentioned how program directors most of the time won't ask you about your research because every medical student is going to have it. Um, so it's more so like quantity over quality. And I think you hit it on the nail when you said that you had an idea for a research project. This, this is what I want to do versus most students who just want to do the research. They're asking around, are you doing projects? Are you doing projects? And then if they're allowed to get into that project. They're doing the project, but they're just doing it because they want to smack it on the resume versus if you have actually have an idea. And when you just smack it on your resume and let's say I were the program director and say, hey, I noticed you did research on aspirin and aspirin just so happens to be the one thing that I really look forward to reading and you did a paper on it. Can you tell me about that paper? Now you can be either this student or that student. This student would be the one who just got on the paper just to put it on the resume. Or that student would be the one who had the idea of saying, hey, I want to do something on aspirin. So when you talk about it, the passion comes out of why you wanted to do that paper. And I think that speaks volumes. So if you're out here with these ideas and you're going up to professors and saying, hey, I have an idea for a project. Here's my pitch. Can you help me? And they say yes. You're already setting yourself up for success, even if it's just one paper or 40 papers, all your projects are your idea. They're, those are your babies. That's what you wanted to do. And of course, if you don't have an idea, but you're kind of having like an umbrella approach of saying, hey, I want to do research in immunology. I really like the field. A professor decides to help you. The professor says, I'm doing research on T cells or B cells, whatever. And then you find your niche. You know, that, that's, that's also like really, really cool to be able to find projects and stuff. But there's, I think there's a lot of students who um, don't really know much about research. And then when they get into it, like, you know, I'll be honest with you. I hated research. I'm not a huge fan of it, it's, especially the experience I got at Seen Hall um, with the wet lab and the expectation of it. You know, I told my facilitator at that time that I wanted to go to medical school and I'm working on my application for medical school. And she had all these PhD students in her lab. She had master's students who wanted to get their PhDs. And when I mentioned that at our first meeting, she goes, OK, good. I'll help you with medical school. I'm like, OK, great. I'm getting my back scratched. Let me help her out with research. So my first couple of months, um, we invited a professor from Drexel University who came and she assigned me to give him a tour of the campus, give him a tour of the lab. But when she introduced me to him, she said, hey, this is Kevin. 
he's going to be our future PhD student. I'm like, hey, we're not on the same page. I told you I want to go to medical school. You introduced me to this guy. And now, you know, as, as a PhD student, like that's not, that's not what I want to do. And for the whole course of the year, she said, oh, um, PhD, PhD, you're going to go get your PhD. If you want this paper published, if you want your name on this paper, I need you to stay here and get your PhD. So I also got to witness the other side of research where it is cutthroat and it's pretty aggressive, you know? And if we're here doing medicine to learn clinical medicine so we can practice clinical medicine, but also do the research because we're interested in it, I think there's that fine line that we can't cross in terms of like, oh, we're getting too much into research. I'm forgetting about clinical medicine because I'm being really aggressive. Or like, I forget about research because I'm not that interested in it and I'm going into clinical medicine. So I'm recognizing your passion for research and I think you, you get really excited about it. Um, do you ever feel like you're challenged where you may end up just saying, hey, I'm going to use my medical degree just to do my research? Or like, are you trying to find that middle area where you can practice your clinical medicine and do groundbreaking research that can help amplify your specialty, like in pediatric surgery? Like, like, you know, are you going to take your research into the direction of if you're a pediatric surgeon, what can I do to make the field better and put my name in the forefront of amplifying the specialty? Or do you ever have that fear that you may get sucked in too much to the research where you just don't even care about clinical medicine anymore? And you just want to keep pumping out papers? Because I've seen professors do that. And, um, you know, it, it can become it can become a, a, a dark rabbit hole that some people might fall under. And the reason why I bring this up is because I think students should hear from someone who is passionate about research how they can easily fall into that rabbit hole if you're a medical student who's in first year, term one, or term five, or in clinical years, that you're going down that rabbit hole of like, I need research, I need research, I need research, that you forget about the overarching goal of what research really is in medicine and how we use research to improve clinical medicine versus just putting your name on a paper. Yeah, because um, I, I did another paper with Dr. Trotz creating protein gummy, the closest you'll get to like a wet lab, I guess, experience here. But um, she's like, remember, your first goal is clinical medicine. Like, that is why you're here. You're here to become a doctor. Don't let um, research or writing papers constantly cloud your judgment or cloud your view. But when I, to go to a medical school, I actually wanted to go get an MD, PhD, because I always knew, like, ever since the wet lab experience that I liked research. But my big thing is I want to do, like, surgical research. That's why, like, one of my papers that you you guys saw in the chat is I'm doing pulmonary valve replacement and tetralogy of palate. It, it goes into my niche. It's, it, it's pediatric surgery, but also research on that specific surgery, that specific component. Um, I don't think it'll ever get to that point where I'm, I'm too far down the rabbit hole. For me, I do research, like I said, because I enjoy it. But like 90% of the time here, like I'm pretty bored. So like I try to use it to fill my time. So I, my friends hate when I say that, but that, that's just, just the case. Cause I'm like, I have nothing else to do. And then sometimes I'll be studying, which is the down, like the downside of everything I'll be studying. And then uh, like, for example, Zinker's diverticulum, we just, we didn't cover it, but I'm reading the first aid book for it. And then all of a sudden I'm just like, well, what have they done surgical wise? Like what, what, what type of surgeries are used to treat it? Does everyone know that there's this specific type of surgery plus this surgery plus this surgery. And then I'll literally just, forget about studying and jump down that rabbit hole for like an hour, look up papers. But I don't think when it comes to the actual clinical practicing, it's going to happen. I mean, it'll happen on my off time. I'll make the note to write it down. But pediatric surgery is like, that's just the dead set goal. That's all I want. And I don't care how long it takes me to get there. But on the bright side for it, 
it requires a one to two year fellowship and research specifically to get to the pediatric surgery fellowship. So it, it kind of goes hand in hand, thankfully for me. Yeah, you know, I admire that's, that a lot. That's, that's an interesting point. No, go ahead. I admire a lot, Ethan, your perspective on research, and this kind of piggybacks off our conversation right now. I mean, you see research as um, uh, like a, a fun activity. You know, you always say like, "Oh, I was bored, so I did this paper. I did this this article search up." But a lot of people I talk to, and a lot of their experiences, they view research as a chore. You know, they think I have all this term work to do. I gotta you know, study for this exam, I need to do extracurricular activities, but the research is a chore that, you know, I can procrastinate on a little bit. And your perspective, I think, is, is something very refreshing to those kind of students. So do you have any advice for students who might see research as a chore or research is not their strong suit or not something that they're looking forward to? What would you say to them? How would they get started? Um, I've actually, because I've had like, I think eight papers right now from this semester alone, and I've had friends and other people like that. Well, my friends have big mouths. So friends are friends, ask me on papers. And I've run into that like a couple of times, several times with it where they're just like, I'm gonna do it last minute because I set hard deadlines. I'm like, it's due now. Um, I think more of it is do a little bit of it every day because the more you dive down that rabbit hole of that paper, as long as you pick a good paper, it becomes interesting. So like, the problem is with going to different professors is they're going to give you a paper. Sometimes you may get lucky and they'll be like, what are, are you? Oh, other professors, I'm not going to say names, but my friend, he's got, he went to one professor and he's, they're just like, all right, you're doing this topic. Well, my friend's favorite, or I guess his preferred is like urology or oncology, specifically like bladder cancer. And he's just like, I don't even know where to start with it. Like she wants me to come up with a hypothesis and I'm just, he's just like, he comes to me and like, what do you think I should do? And I'm just like, I mean, I know nothing about the topic, but maybe there's some sort of treatment that's becoming more prevalent and there's a lot of research on it. Like focus on that. Um, but the big thing is, is just don't like stress into it. Look at the research paper, find something specifically in that research paper that looks a little interesting and then focus it around there because the more you re go into it, like the more interesting it can get. Yeah. Um, you know, it's so the whole point of this podcast is, of course, for us to be super transparent and not hold anything back about hurting ourselves or hurting other people. So I'm going to be frank. I, in the beginning of term four, my buddy, who's super passionate, and I can't even say the subjects, I'm going to give too much away, but he's super passionate about a particular subject in Grenada that we're, that we're learning. And uh, he came up to me one day and he was like, hey, Kev, uh, do you want to help me with this paper? I'm like, sure. He's like, I'm going to be first author because it's my baby and you can be second author. I'm like, dude, it's fine. I'll help you out. What is it? He, gave, he told me, he gave me his pitch and I was like, okay, that's something that I could see myself sitting down reading articles on. Because it's something that's interesting. I can't say what it is. It's going to give too much away. But it was a paper that I thought was really interesting. And that's the first question I asked myself. Someone's asking me to help them with a paper. But do I even care about what you're researching? Because if I get asked about it, I need to be able to talk about it. And I got to be able to sound authentic about it. So it was a paper. Like before I even said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll get on the paper with you. I want to get a paper under my name. I wanted to first assess, like, what is it that you're even researching? So I was interested in it. And then we recruited two more people. So we had four people on the paper. And 
um, this particular professor gave us a deadline, a hard deadline. Like we need this paper written by next week. I'm like, okay, great. It's FTTM. Like it's not like, it's still kind of like, you know, I mean, that, uh, Dr. Dasso kind of took us through the pharmacology. So it was a little overwhelming, but nonetheless, we got the paper done and we wrote the paper. We got feedback. We edited it. We submitted it. Crickets. Professor just flat out cricketed us. No response to our emails. We'll see the professor walking around. Won't look us. Won't look at us in the face. I'll say, "Hey, uh, did you email the professor?" He's like, "Yeah, Kev. I emailed him twenty times. He's not responding to my emails." I'm like, "Okay, it is what it is. Let's just keep moving on." Um, so I think that is also something that students should be aware about, and I've seen it happen in grad school. You know, like I my my research mentor in grad school that I was under her watch for two years made me you know, do a lot of bench work for hours upon hours. Mind you, I was in grad school. I was doing, what, nine credits, which is what you're allowed to do in grad school. But these are grad level courses. You know, it was like micro. Uh, it was like virology, like, uh, you know, different aspects of like neuroscience and stuff. So I, I have my master's in neuroscience. So it was a lot for me to take in. And on top of that, I'm doing all this lab work for this professor. I mean, my days were starting at 4 a.m. every day. I would get to the lab by 5 a.m. to take care of the HIV-infected rats. Making, I had to check their weight. I had to feed them. I had to make sure they had enough water. And all of that is just collecting data, collecting data. And then I have to, and then I also saw a TA. I taught the anatomy courses at grad school. So I had to also teach two classes back to back. So my first morning was I got to take care of these lab rats. I got to teach two courses. I got to take care of me. So I need to go to the gym. I need to take care of my mental state. But they also work at their urgent care. So I need to go put in a few hours. And then I have to go to grad school at the end of the day. And then when grad school was done around 9.30 p.m., I have to go back to the lab to do the research that she wanted me to do specifically besides taking care of the animals. So my days started at 4 a.m. They didn't end until like midnight. And then I would get home and I would just be exhausted. And then all of that work that I put in, I have absolutely nothing to show for it. Because when it came down to, hey, I collected all the data. I read all the papers. I summarized all the papers. Are we going to publish it? I need you to be a PhD student. I want to go to medical school. No, 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 PhD. So at that point, it was, do I sign a deal with the devil and just go do a PhD because I need to get my name published? Or should I just swallow it, take it, and just move on? So that experience was what gave me the emotional maturity of being able to write a paper now and then having a professor just flat out turn their back on you. And I think students should be aware that that could happen. And I'm curious, like, has that ever happened to you where you've put in work for a paper, you submitted it, and then nothing? Um, it was actually this paper I wrote after my second master's because I got a master's in psychology. And it was basically recognition heuristics, uh, basically how you're primed by advertisements to go to this food place over this food place or home cooked meals. And I went to the professor who taught our eating disorders lecture because it was along the lines of eating eating issues. Thankfully, she's the reason why I was able to get more into research because she sent me to Montalbano and then she ghosted both like Montalbano and I. Like he kept trying to get in contact with her. It just didn't happen. But that's also why when like, because I, I advertise like, look, I'm, I'm looking for these positions uh, on these papers. If you're interested, email me your CV, blah, blah, blah. Um, but I, I let them know like, look, these are good chance it'll get backed, but at this moment, there's no professor backing. I have backup professors that I know will probably publish it, like 
but like, this is what happens. But currently I'm at hundred percent backing on all my papers. Um, because it's, it's very possible to get a no, but for me, I'm just very persistent. Well, I'll be, I'll email the next professor like, Hey, dot, dot, dot. Like right now I'm supposed to have another paper, but this specific professor just keeps ghosting us. Like we went to him, but my idea was already published and he's very particular about if, how well, like it's already been studied. And like, he keeps saying us like meeting pending, meeting pending. And I'm like, I know he's busy. Like it's nothing against him. Like he he's super busy. And I understand that because he's got his hands everywhere, but it's just like, we really want to publish. Like we want to write because we're interested in this. Like we're interested in research and we gave him a list of topics and ideas. Like, well, okay. I gave him a list of topic and ideas that were very interesting. Um, but it just, he, he's busy. So it hasn't gone back. So, I mean, the professors, like some of the professors are super busy. Other professors, I got ghosted by another, by two other professors. One, I know super busy. The other one, like, I don't know what he does. Like, I know he teaches us. (laughs) I know he teaches us, but I don't know what else he does. And the paper was actually really up his wheelhouse because it was, um, anticoagulants and Kawasaki disease. And that's my recent paper, recent paper. And then the other one was anticoagulants and dementia, which was just submitted. And thankfully, like I said, I'm persistent. I will go to, I will look through the whole directory and look for a professor who's willing to publish, who is willing to at least proofread it and submit it in. Um, but you just, you have to be prepared to be let down. That's just, it's life. You have to be prepared to be let down because that's only gonna make you stronger. That's gonna make you realize, okay, if you really want this, do it. Find a way to do it. You know, yeah. you're, uh, you know, just everything that you're saying that you've done since term one, you know, it sounds like you're very busy. I mean, between the, the DES drives, the research, looking for more research, uh, dealing with professors that don't care about your research, finding one that does care about your research. Um, do you struggle at all with, with balancing your schedule? And like, you know, how do you check in with yourself mentally as far as like keeping yourself fresh and making sure that you don't, uh, you know, lose all your hair and end up in a straight jacket. So I'm going to get a lot of down votes for this, but I'm done studying by eight o'clock in the morning. So the rest of the day is mine. Like that's just how it's been since term one. So like I'll do research. I'll watch TV while I do research. I'll actually research is fun. So like, that's literally what I will do. Like I'll sit like for six hours and just look and find articles, see if something's valid. Um, but I'm, I'm honestly not that busy. Like my slides are made for term one. So Saturdays I'll, I'll come back after like four or five hours trying to get the orphanage set up. I'll go like shower afterwards, get something to eat, sit for about two to three hours, go through the term ones. And then after that, like my day's mine, like I have six day work weeks, which I've become accustomed to. And I know that's going to carry on to term five, but it's stuff I enjoy doing. So it's, it's not a chore. It's just something I'm going to do. Wait, you said you're done studying by 8 a.m.? Yeah. <laughs> when <are> you started? <laughs> yeah. Can you, can you elaborate on that a little bit? <laughs> um, so, like, right now, I just now started waking up at 4, but I used to wake up around 5.30 because my roommate's a little petty and likes her specific spot, and someone took it, so now we have to get there at 5.30 instead of 6 o'clock so she can keep her spot. <laughs> um, that's my life. Um, so I'll usually get There's to... There's a whole different culture at 5 a.m. Yeah. So I'll, I'll, usually get, I'll get a spot 530 and then I'll pre-read the lecture and then I'll make my Anki on the lecture and then I'll study the day before Anki and that. some self-reflection to do after this. Part. <laughs> 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 
I used to be like that during MS1. I mean, granted, during MS1, it's a little easier because, you know, you like I was online and I am, I don't know if this is the right thing to say, but like I'm a Virgo, you know, and we're a little like the, yeah, the stereotypical <laughs> Virgos of us being like really time oriented and like neurotic about our schedules and like what time am I going to eat, you know? So during MS1, I had a really fixed schedule where I'm like, okay, they put me on the 3.30 and 4.30 p.m. lectures. Why? That's so late. I'm a morning bird. I wake up and I'm singing. I wake up and I'm ready to go. So I would wait. I noticed that like around 8 a.m. they would post their lectures. So I would wake up at 6 and do all my flashcards, walk my dogs, watch the lecture recordings, and then post read my lectures. And I was done by like 12 p.m. I was like, I'm done studying. I, I did the day's worth of lectures. I post-read it. I did my flashcards. I'm done studying. Now I have the rest of the day to myself. But then you get bored. I'm like, all right, so I'm just going to keep studying. So don't feel bad if your friends are judging you because all you do is study and do research. Hey, on the flip side, I don't, I'm not doing super, super heavy research as yourself, but like, I love medicine. And I know that sounds really cliche because we all love medicine, but how I interpret my love for medicine is... If I'm done studying and I have nothing else to do, I'm just going to do practice questions. I'm going to go on USMLE RX or AMBOSS. I'm going to read articles. Um, and I think that stems down to me being interested in like an emergency medicine, internal medicine, where, you know, you're dealing with a lot of cases. So like, like you said, and, and I appreciate that you said that because you're like, that's, that's awesome. It makes me feel better about myself a little bit because um, I'll read something like for patho, for example, in term four, I'll see a patho disease or something and i'm like this sounds pretty intense like i wonder how it's managed when they're having an acute flare-up when they go to the er and then i'll go down that rabbit hole of like okay you're teaching us what's what happens when it's broken i want to know how you fix it i want to know how you manage it and that's just my interest in emergency medicine or internal medicine where i want to figure out those cases you know so like i preoccupy my mind a lot where if i'm not studying i'm probably looking at something else that probably involves studying or medicine um and I, you know, that's, I give you a lot of credit for that because that's like, you know, it's, it's, it's a good personality trait to have. And I think that's going to make you a really good doctor because you're curious. And it's that curiosity that I think makes people good doctors. Like I tell you that one plus one equals two. And your first question is why, how that in itself is what's going to make you a really good doctor. Cause you're, you're willing to chase that curiosity and if I were a program director and I want to get into your shoes and I want to say, Hey, how do I know Ethan is going to come into this residency and help the specialty grow and get it amplified? How is he going to make it better? And you know, when they ask you, tell me about yourself and you're like, Oh, I'm a really curious person. No, that's not how you're going to say it. How are you going to say it? It's by your research projects. So they're going to see all these papers that you're publishing and they're going to say, Hey, you've published a lot of papers. Um, can you tell me more about it? And then, listening to you speak about it and, and, and the, how I would assume you're going to speak about it. If I got the impression that you're a student who is really curious and is chasing those questions of how and why and going down those rabbit holes, that in itself tells me that when you get a particular case and it's a complicated case, I know you'll be willing to go down the rabbit hole to figure out what's wrong in that case. And you're not going to just toss it off to the side and say, I can't figure it out. Someone else deal with it. Or I can't figure it out. Can someone give me the answer? You're going to try to find that answer yourself. And that's extremely admirable. And I think that's a, 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 an example of, a, of how a leader should be, you know? And we have the same personality trait where I go down those rabbit holes all the time. If I have a friend who asks me a question, hey, Kev, what's one plus one? And I can't figure it out. I'm like, we're going to figure it out together. 
Like, give me a, give me a marker. Let's go on the whiteboard. Let's figure this out. And then next thing you know, it's two hours and we figured out one plus one, but we stimulated our brains. We chased it. We chased that curiosity. And I think students, I mean, what do you think? Like students, I wish it, it would be my goal to hopefully switch the mindset of research where it's not about publishing the paper just to have it published and just to have it on your resume. So when you apply to residency, you, you did it, you checked off the box, you did the research. I think there's more like, okay, I admitted it. I don't like research, but I still see the beauty in it where it's paradoxical in itself where like, okay, you might not like it, but I like what it's doing to my brain. I like that. It's making me think. I like that. It's making me chase questions that can't be answered. And to answer them, you have to go down those rabbit holes and you have to look for the information yourself. And there are questions that the reason why it's research is because no one has an answer to it. You can't just say, oh, I can't figure out what's one plus one. Let me go ask my friend who knows. No, no one knows the answer. And that's why you're researching it. You know, you know so you're, it, it's extremely paradoxical because, because you're like, okay, I want to know the answer, but I can't figure it out. And then you go down those rabbit holes and it just amplifies your brain and it makes you think really hard, you know? So if we can, if, if you can like, I don't know, if you have that experience and give advice to anybody who's listening, I think if, if you can convince them that, hey, if you do the research and you don't do it from a perspective of you're just checking off the box, but you do it from a perspective where you're actually interested in the project and you want to know more about it, the benefit of what it's going to do to you as a student and the benefit that it's going to do to you as a doctor, I think is more important than just checking off the box. Um, For me, like there's always, always a small part of me, everything I do with respect to med school, even including powerhouse. There's always that small part of me just like, okay, this is a check in the box. My CV is going to be great. Um, that, there's always going to be a small part because like there's so much I'm going to have to overcome, especially for surgery to get what I want. Um, but a big thing is like, that's how I came up with my Kawasaki paper. It was during CRS and we're learning about Kawasaki disease and how you're supposed to give aspirin for Kawasaki disease. Yeah. Yeah. It's standard. You give antiplatelets, but you still have a lot of like thrombies and coronary aneurysms that are still going to happen. Like, why aren't you going to give anticoagulants? Like what happens when you give anticoagulants? And surprisingly, even though Kawasaki is long-term and even the AHA recommends giving anticoagulants, there's no actual studies really that cover the adverse effects of what happens if you give anticoagulants or what's the benefit. Um, it just finding it, finding what works for you is the big thing, but it's also hard because right now, like where a lot of people are at. And that's what I found out when I gave the resources. I'm just like, all right, what is your specialty? What specialty do you want? A lot of people still don't know. And that makes it so much harder to find something you're interested in. But a lot of people are also stuck in, okay, I'm just going to study the material they give me just straight off the slides. What they give me, it's it. I'm not going to worry about anybody else. But then I have a friend who's just like, he sees like a line, he, he learns about that line and then some. So anytime I have a question, he's just like, boom, it's this because of this, because of this. And I'm just like, it's not even the lecture. Like, where'd you come up with this? It's about being more curious or being more curious than just about the lecture. Make it about something more because the lectures themselves, like they can get a little dry, but it, it's finding your way to like make it enjoyable, like understand more than just okay, aspirin is an anticoagulant that inhibits COX. Why does it inhibit COX? Well, I think that, you know, that curiosity is, is very important, like you said, and it would help you find, you know, research that you're interested in. And, um, you know, what you said about the slides is very true. Like uh, we talked about this last time where, you know, I always say you're not learning the slide, right? You're learning the, the disease, right? You have to, it's not in a vacuum. Um, 
And I think people forget that, you know, doctors are first and foremost scientists, right? Where sometimes people don't really understand the symbolism of, you know, why we get the white coat in the beginning, not the end, right? I, I knew when I was a kid, I thought the white coat was at the end to symbolize that you're a doctor, but really it's more about the entrance to the field, right? Um, white coats are only about, I think, 150 years or so old. And it was supposed to be, we were trying to separate ourselves from you know the snake oil merchants walking through the street and selling these crazy treatments and it was supposed to be a symbol that we were going to approach things through a scientific aperture right and i think an easy way for people to get that curiosity is when you do the lectures as you said and you strike something that you think just left more to be desired the biggest word i type in on pubmed all the time is novel so you go on and you type in whatever like let's say the kawasaki disease and then you type in novel treatment or new treatment. And it's amazing, you know, the things that you can find because people forget that, you know, when we leave medicine, everything we learn, a lot of the things we learn will have already changed as far as drugs of choice, as far as the procedure. Um, so, you know, you're, a doctor is never done learning, right? So by staying on top of the latest research, it's going to make you a better doctor and you're going to be more informed. And even things I'd imagine in rotations, when you're going to have information in your head that you access personally, you know, not only does it show personal dedication to the field, but you're going to have more information on the subject on the very front lines, right? You're not going to just know something because it, it was kind of the, you know, the dogma of old medicine. So it's important to, to stay abreast of the change in medicine because it's never going to be the same thing forever. It's always changing. Yeah. So Ethan, I want to kind of put your imagination hat right now because hearing you talk is is very inspiring and it reminds me of when I was younger and looking towards like things I can invent, things I can research, things I can do in my field of science because science in itself is all about creation, right? It's taking sticks and stones and making a campfire out of it. So, you know, put on we can all put on our imagination hats right now. Fast forward to the end of your career, right? What's your magnum opus? Like, what is the project that you created that you really take pride in? Is this something that you kind of been thinking about for a while now in your, you know, long span of having a passion for science and you have this one idea that you can't wait to put on the paper once you have the resources? Or is this something that you can kind of anticipate in a particular field? Like maybe you have an idea in pediatric surgery that you're excited to get out there. So what, what do you think your magnum opus is going to be? Are you kind of working on it in the background and you're not, you know, you know, giving anyone any uh, spoilers yet, or are you anticipating something in the future? Oh, he definitely um, has that one project that's in the back cave. They say, like, I'm going to do this and watch it. I'm going to get, I'm going to get a Nobel in the prize. Nobody's going to know. Um, I feel like I don't know enough about pediatric surgery to like understand it. A lot of my research, surgical research right now has been bariatric surgery because I was watching, I am health, like a uh, fanatic for the health documentaries, like eat, not really eat this, like the, not that, that's not a good, good documentary, but um, I got really involved with in it because basically like after you do bariatric surgery, your hormones are altered, like your GLP-1 uh, increase, your insulin increases, the sensitivity goes, uh, increases. Um, but there's one idea right now, at least that I'm really excited about. And I actually worked with Trots. It didn't exist, but Trots helped me formulate it. And it's like, we're about to submit it. And it's, we created protein gummies for after bariatric surgery. Cause a lot of people just, they don't eat enough. So they, they don't get their proteins. They get malnutrition, all that fun stuff. Um, but something novel like that is what I would like to do. Like just create it from nothing. 
Um, and I, I feel like it's going to come to me the more I learn about surgery in general. But right now it's all about, and I don't like it, but it's mostly about narrative reviews on current like pediatric surgeries. Like I guess to get the brain juices flowing, like I need to learn more about this so I can create, I guess, I don't, I don't know how you say it, but that big study that I would be proud of. And that's what the end goal is. Um, but I look forward to getting that experience and knowledge under my belt. So that way I can create that. That's exciting, Ethan. Honestly, I can't wait to see it. I know you're going to make it one day and we're going to see your name uh, on some kind of prize and, and think, wow, that was a legacy piece. You know, the either the protein gummies or, or something greater, but it's coming. I think we all agree it's coming. I'm excited for it. <laughs> you know, just to kind so of... You uh, had a, uh, go ahead, Kevin. No, you go. You go, it's fine. Um, I'm just kind of curious because our last episode, we kind of focused on, you know, dispelling the negative culture of term four, getting people, you know, excited about it instead of petrified. Um, and just because, you know, you're done by studying by eight. So uh, you, you clearly got it covered. So do you have any suggestions about people coming in from term three or two, four or t- into term four or just your overall experience? Um, did you see a big difference between the, the lower year and then the upper year? And just what's your what's your uh, almost done reflection on term four? I've had a lot of fun. Um, I really enjoyed CRS. That's that's a good one. Um, I I use Anki, so like I know a lot of people don't use Anki. They don't know how to. So I don't I don't like preaching use Anki use Anki. But well, the big Quinn thing loves you right now. Huh? Shout out Anki. Anki is the best. <laughs> <laughs> the, the big thing for term four is. And I tell this to every term one, term two student I help out. Um, the big thing is getting that histology down. You thought, okay, histology sucks term one, term two. It's just a bunch of like pain in the butt information. You have to, have to try and get in, which by the way, Anki does help because you see the picture and over and over again. But um, a lot of it is getting used to histology because it comes up. It doesn't come up as much as you think for us, at least it hasn't really. Um, but, and then pharma, the drugs down, the drugs, like that's probably why it gets such a bad rep is the histology and the drugs. Um, Cause you learn a lot of drugs, but for me, like I've had fun. It's not as bad as you think it is, but I also know like a lot of my friends are actually struggling and it's just, it's like going from MSK to CPR one. It's an adjustment period. You are now into the real medicine and we're not, you're done with basically physiology. Physiology is its own beast. And now you're on to the fun stuff and you have to look at it as the fun stuff or else it's going to be terrible to learn. You're going to have trouble with it. You have to find, I guess, the beauty in it to feel comfortable with it. It's it's not going to be easy, but it's it can be fun. I love histology. <laughs> My current my current wallpaper my current wallpaper on my laptop is yeah I'm all right, I'm gonna nerd out for a second um, my my uh, my current wallpaper on my laptop is a histo image of cirrhosis I'm like this is really interesting because like all right if you really think about it you know if you really think about it <laughs> um, like I always I always thought um, I always thought it was interesting how like we have our physical being right but. And like, we think like, okay, you know, like we're, we're in medicine, we're learning how the human body works, but superficially people who don't know about medicine, they think that like, this is like the, like your exterior surface, your exterior self, your physical being is like you, but in all actuality, there's stuff going on in your tissue that we don't fully understand. And us being in medicine, seeing the histo images, learning about the cells and how they communicate and the proteins they make and how they help each other grow. 
especially when they're hurt, like an injury. Um, like that language to me is extremely interesting. And the only way we get to actually visualize that language is through histo. So at first, like in term one, we're seeing all these histo images and even now in path, like, okay, you're telling me about disease, about something breaking. What does it look like? I want to see it. You, you give it to me in words. Oh, uh, non-granulomatous inflammation of the lungs. Oh, I want to see it. What does that look like? You know, and like, okay, give me an x-ray image or give me a histo image. Wow, look at these cells. You know, like these cells are basically a community of, I guess, what you would call people who are literally working together to fix something that just broke. So when I put the image of cirrhosis, histo, on my, on my wallpaper, because I'm seeing you know, these blue streaks of collagen being secreted from the IDO cells that were once cells that used to store vitamin A, but now they're secreting collagen to, to you know, to repair the liver. And then I see all these hepatocytes like building and, and, and proliferating because they're like, hey, we need to grow. We just, and it's just like us, you know, like us people, like if we're a group of friends and I see that you're down and you're hurt and you're upset, I want to lift you up. I want to lift your spirits up. And that's what our cells are doing. You know, so I look at it from that perspective and I'm like, wow, this is really interesting. This is really cool. And yeah, sorry. I just totally nerded out on it. But histo, histo <laughs> should not get a bad, should not get a bad rep. I, I think, I think it's really, I think it's something that's, that's like, this should be more appreciated, especially as a scientist, like Anthony said, like as a doctor, you're a scientist and you're going to find those weird peculiarities throughout medical school that you just find interest in. And to me, it was always histo. Like I thought it was really cool. Um, but that, that brings me to my next question. Um, so you do Anki, I assume you do your own flashcards. I mean, I, I know people and how I really found out about you, um, was when people would ask me, Hey, Kev, do you do Anki? And I'm like, no, I, I'm sorry. I'm on the other side of the coin. I don't like doing Anki because I want to be, I'm a visual learner. I want to be able to see what I'm doing. So I use this app. It's called Remno where it's just like Anki. It has the Anki algorithm. Um, you can make your own flashcards, but for me, it allows me to type up my notes so that I can see what I'm dealing with. I have my backbone. So if we're doing farm, I have my drugs, I have what they do so I can see the whole thing and then I can turn them all into flashcards so that I can get it drilled into my head. Um, but that takes time, you know, like, I, like it, it takes time out of my day. Like I got to sit down and I got to like read the lectures. I got to look for other external resources to amplify what I'm learning and make my flashcards. And I got to do the flashcards. But you are doing a lot of research. You, you are doing Anki and I'm assuming you make your own flashcards. Um, you have to take care of self. You know, you have to eat, you have to sleep, you have to shower the whole nine. You're done studying by 8 a.m. Now I'm in a position where I'm, where I'm like, I got to do some self-reflection because Granted, I fill my whole day up with studying because I just enjoy it. And if I'm done studying, I just want to keep doing it because there's literally nothing else to do. Like, what else am I going to do? You know, I'm not that much of a social butterfly where I can go out and, you know, enjoy what Grenada has to offer to the fullest extent because sometimes that's not what drives me. What drives me is just to be home studying or getting locked in, going down a rabbit hole. And of course, you know, I'm not super neurotic. Like, if there's those times where I can go out and enjoy myself with my friends, I will. But those times that I do go out, it's at least more meaningful because I actually wanted it versus just doing it. So I don't get that FOMO of like missing out, you know, but I want to learn from you. And I think what I'm about to ask you would be helpful for everybody as well, where you are on the top of your game. You have it figured out, you know, you're in IEA, you're starting off term five on a high note. You're doing all these research projects. You're, you're a leader. 
you're running a Google Drive account that students are relying on. And I think that's going to be implemented in SGU, especially after you leave SGU, where people are going to find this track and say, look at resource, this is amazing. Um, so now I want to ask you, how do you do it? You know, like, and I, and I know you can say the cliche, like, oh, I just enjoy it. I just enjoy it. But I really want to know, like, how do you do it? You know, how, like, what gets you up in the morning? Uh, well, my roommate gets me up in the morning. But um, <laughs> I'm not kidding. The other day, she literally barged in my room at 545. And she's just like, are you going to school? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> but um, it just, it's not, it's not just enjoying the material. I do like helping others. But to get up, it's a lot of it comes out of boredom, honestly. Like, I don't know what else to do, but doing this is going to help me learn. Like, I do the term one reviews now, and next semester I'm planning something big, which I'm already regretting, but it's going to happen because I'm persistent. But, like, just getting up, I'm like, okay, there's this going on. I, I want to do this. Like, how can I make today better than yesterday? Um, but, like, I'll just, I'll go to school. Like, I stop drinking energy drinks, which is a bad idea. I, just, I go straight to the hard stuff, the caffeine pills. So that helps a lot. <laughs> um, but I'll get that. I'll, I'll take my vitamins in the morning. It just, I, I don't know how to describe it because I'm, I'm finished. I'm, I'm just sitting there. I'm like, what can I do? Like, I just don't want to sit here twiddling my thumbs. Like, I want to do something productive. And so, like, now I'm starting to look over our term two material because I'm going to start helping term one and two and three next semester. Which, speaking of Virgo, I literally started planning out term five. Like, so I'm right off the gate. I'm good. But um, it's just about, I really don't know how to describe it. It's just like, it's not necessarily that there's nothing better to do. It's just all this adds up into big things. Like, okay, I'm helping term ones. Like, yes, it's great. But at the same time, like, I know term one, like, the back of my hand. I finally understand the lungs. I finally understand the kidneys. And that's only going to make it easier when I take stuff. So a lot of it's just striving towards getting to my goal. It is some days it's hard, but other days it's just like, okay, I can do this. Well, that's inspiring, and it's it's and it's, it it, is, it inspires me to the fullest extent because it just makes me feel like when I think I'm working hard, there's someone out there working harder. I mean, I'm stuck on the eight AM thing. I'm I, <laughs> I, I have no words. <laughs> I'm not a morning person at all, but like I used to go to bed three o'clock in the morning in Florida because that's where I'm from. And then I get to Grenada and Grenada messes up my circadian rhythm so much. I used to go to bed at 730. Like I have to take a caffeine pill at five o'clock in the afternoon so I can try and stay up till 1030 because my roommate kept complaining that I got nine, 10 hours of sleep and she was only eight, four. I mean, have you ever just tried taking two shots with battery acid? I mean, by battery acid, that's how I call espresso shots. But like, you know what gets me going in the morning? Two shots of battery acid with a latte, some pumpkin spice, and I'm good for the whole day. Yeah, I don't, I don't got the money for that stuff. So I'm just like, all right, caffeine pills. A box <laughs> of caffeine pills, 16 count is 9 EC. So I literally bought six yesterday and it was only 48 EC versus the 12 count of energy drinks I used to do. And that was like 136 EC. So trying to save money because I'm going to need a car for clinicals. <laughs> me and you both, yeah. wow. Spoke to my soul with that one. <laughs> where is, uh, where's home? Uh, Tampa, Florida, unfortunately. I don't like Florida. Florida's just so hot. It's uh, hot. I'd like to do New Jersey because, yes, it is hot. You think I'd be used to Granada, but no, I'm tired of it. Um, I'm, hey, I'm, New Jersey. 
I'm from Jersey, but I live in Florida and everyone always says that like, well, you must love the heat here. I'm like, we don't live in like huts outside. We're inside all the time. We don't like it. <laughs> no, I've never seen snow before. So I'd love to see snow. But even though I live in Florida. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> New Jersey snow is not like snow from anywhere else. Quinn would understand and Anthony would know. Snow in New Jersey will literally shut down the whole state. <laughs> it has shut down the whole state multiple times. Yeah. And it's like, it's beautiful for like an hour. And then it's just mixed with like bum piss and car exhaust. And it's just a black slushy. It's not, very, not as pretty as you might think. But it is the Garden State. Jersey's beautiful. So if you, uh, that's where I plan on going. So I'll probably see you there. Yeah, I, I lived in Washington for like a year and a half. I still didn't see snow the whole time. So, because I worked at night, so I couldn't really go during the day. But I like New Jersey because New Jersey is a good surgical center. They got Hackensack and they got Rutgers. So there's a lot of like open doors if I do surgery there. And that's just why I want to do New Jersey versus anywhere else. I wouldn't want to go to You've been to, wait, so you said you live in Washington, like DC? No, uh, the state. Okay. Yeah. My goal is to go to DC. I, I love DC, the Capitol, you know, the White House. It's, just, it's, a, it's a beautiful, I mean, I, I'm going to go to Jersey for my clinicals and I want to more than likely do my residency in clinicals, but where I decide to raise a family is probably going to be DC. It's nice. No, my sister did go. Yeah, my sister did go to DC. She, but it was with like, she was like 16. So she didn't really see too much of it, but yeah, I love Tacoma. Tacoma, Washington's my favorite. But I did chose Washington between Twilight and Grey's Anatomy, so probably not Grey's the best. Anatomy. <laughs> you know, you mentioned the most uh, accurate medical source. Yeah, I mean, I'm not gonna ask you why. Surgery is awesome, but did anything drive you to pediatrics in general? I love working with kids. Like, I wouldn't want to be a school teacher because I don't like being that outnumbered. But. Yeah. Uh, I love working with kids. It's just, it's so rewarding. And I've always been good with kids. Like my dad says, I get onto the same level and uh, calibrate with them, however he says it, whatever. But um, I just like working with the kids and it's been a lot of fun doing it, especially working with HSO right now, working with the the orphans over, I'm not really allowed to say where it's particularly, but working with the orphans, it's just been a lot of fun and really rewarding. That's awesome. Ethan, we had you. I mean, I wish I would have had you for our other episode where we talked about term four, but that's fine. We, we can do it again. Um, we talked a lot about how, uh, you know, term four has that negative culture on how, um, you know, students come in to term four immediately thinking that they're going to fail and that it's a hard term. And it is, you know, like term four really is a tough term, uh, but hopefully we elucidated on how if you just figure out your niche, you can survive. And by survive, I don't mean, like that can mean anything to anybody that can be passing with a 73% or passing with a 95, just survive, just get through term four, figure it out. And, and like, I'm really happy that, that we brought you on because you've given us, like you've, 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 I'm flabbergasted on how hard you work and all the work that you've put in, you know, like you should give yourself a lot of credit. You, you deserve it. You know, you, you, you're a really hard worker. And that just made me realize like, yeah, in terms of surviving, this Ethan is surviving, but he's also doing what he wants and he's doing a lot of it, you know? So he's not worried about the negative culture of term four that he's going to fail. He's worried about 
his next paper because he cares about that paper. He's worried about the term ones and the term twos and the term threes and making sure that they're elevated and that they're, and that they're going to have the resources that they need. And you're putting all of that first. And then the academic aspect of it, of like, what about your grades? Oh, that's, that comes with the territory. Like, how do you, how do you expect to not get the grades you're looking for if you're doing the research or helping people out? It's just in your nature at that point to do well. And by well, I mean, it can be a 73 or it can be a 95. You're doing well. It doesn't matter. It's subjective. You know, someone's 73 might be the greatest success to someone's 95. So I, I, I don't like to say that doing well means you have to get a 95. If, if in your eyes, doing well is what you wanted, you're doing well. And I think you're a good example of how you can be an extremely hard worker, put a lot on your plate, be done studying by 8 a.m. Um, and, you know, survive term four. And I, and I think like you're a good follow up after that podcast, because like now I want to I want to work harder. I want to go harder. And if that means I have to study more by l- learning what I know more or whatever, then I'm going to do that. And I think you're going to inspire a lot of people. And I think you're heading in a really good direction in life. And I'm really excited to see the type of doctor that you're going to be. Thank you. I'm excited to see too. Do you guys have any last minute things? Ethan, do you have any last minute advice you want to give to anybody? Just find the fun in it and make sure you take breaks because it's just going to feel like a chore if you're not having fun. And we're here. This is the long haul. Like we're in it till we die, basically. I mean, most of us, because that's why we're here, but it just, it's a lifelong goal. I'll just say, uh, Ethan, I just want to thank you again for coming on. Uh, really great to have you. This went uh, much more illuminating than I was even ready for. Uh, keep up the great work, man. I mean, term ones, term twos. I'm a firm believer in giving back, especially for younger students. Um, you know, there's a bad culture, not just term four, but med students in general are cutthroat. And yeah, it's a competitive field, but science is collaborative, man. And we're to help people. Um, you're not going to f- affect your grade if you help people academically, right? It's, it has nothing to do with you. Um, so I really commend you for that. Again, I'm just gonna, I really want to emphasize that you're doing it for free. That speaks volumes to your passion. So that's that's just great. And I wish you luck in the future. And uh, if I can ever find someone that will love me, I'll take my kids to you. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to echo all the praise, Ethan. We're all singing your song today. You're an amazing inspiration. I feel like I became a better person today. Uh, I think it's very unique to find people who know what they want to do. And they also do it very well. And you're a role model to this campus. I think a lot of people are going to hear this podcast and see your work and and think, wow, this was an amazing student at SGU. I wish I knew him better. So, hey, man, I can't wait to see it alongside these guys here. You're going to do great things. And uh, I'm looking out for that magnum opus, dude. It's in the closet, the <laughs> blueprints. Can't, I'm going to say that we, yeah, we heard it here first. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for having me on. It was fun. Yeah, no, of course. Thank you for thank you for being here. So that's a wrap on episode three of our IA podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, we'll share Ethan's information if you guys want to reach out and connect with this amazing leader. And that's a wrap. I hope you guys all have a good time in medical school. <laughs> Bye.